1: Saskag Today
2: with Doug Faulkner.
3: Good afternoon and welcome to Saskag Today. Coming up on today's program, the Canadian Canola Growers Association has made a major announcement that will actually affect all producers in Saskatchewan and across Western Canada. We will have that coming up for you. As well, Louis-Dreyfus Company announced last week that they would be building a pea production processing plant in Yorkton. That was the first topic of discussion on Friday's SaskAgtoday.com Roundtable with Chief Agricultural Editor Kevin Hirsch. The annual Stakes and Stems Producer Night this Wednesday night in Yorkton is sold out. We'll hear from Rachel Cranick, who is the Agriculture Program Specialist for the Saskatchewan Ministry of Agriculture in Yorkton and she'll talk about the speakers they have lined up. And the House of Commons Standing Committee on the Environment and Sustainable Development is in the middle of a study on fresh water, specifically how to protect it, how to collaborate on all levels of government, and what role the newly formed Canada Water Agency plays in all of this. We will hear from SARM President Ray Orb on that. All of those stories and much more coming up on today's edition of SaskAg Today. But first, it's time for the agriculture outlook with precision weather, and that's a presentation of Milligan Bio. Milligan Bio now offers bio meal for your livestock, giving your animals more protein, more energy, and more of what they need. It's also brought to you by Sean Prahitka, your Remax Blue Chip Ag Division specialist. Welcome back to SaaS today. The Canadian Canola Growers Association just today has announced the opening of the early application window for 2024 cash advances. Dave Gallant is their Vice President of Finance and Advanced Payments Program.
0: So yeah, today we've opened up the program so farmers can start getting their applications into us uh, and doing it online. We'll start issuing money uh, the first business day in April, and this gives farmers about six, seven weeks to get the process done, get their crop insurance information submitted so that they can get uh, get the funds in place and have it ready for pre-seeding. Uh, it's a brand new program and there are a couple of changes this year that farmers should be aware of.
3: He outlines the changes.
0: So the big change this year is that uh, the federal government has changed the interest-free component back down to $100,000. So Right now, for the 2023 program, uh, farmers have access to up to $350,000 for their products uh, in the bin, interest-free. And as of April 1, for the new 2024 program, that will go down to $100,000. The other big change is that the advance rates have dropped for the major crops. So canola, the the rate has gone down to $290 a ton this year from $397.00 and wheat has gone down from 175 to $150 a ton.
3: But Gallant says the program still offers plenty of flexibility.
0: Oh, there's tons of flexibility. So with CCGA, farmers have access to uh, over 55 different products that they can take their advance for. Uh, the overall program limit is still a million dollars, and they can start applying right now for what they plan to seed this spring or if they have animals, uh, animals that have hooves on the ground as of April 1.
3: He notes that you don't have to be a canola grower to apply for the program through their office.
0: That is correct. So we do cereal crops, we do pulses, we do specialty grains. Uh, Basically, like I said, we do 55 different products, including organic grains, so that a farmer can apply for pretty much anything they're growing on their farm through CCGA to get their cash advance needs met.
3: Gallant tells us how applications can be made.
0: Well, if you're an existing customer, you already have access to our secure portal, so you can apply 24 hours a day, seven days a week, any time that works for you. And if you're brand new or you prefer using the phone, you can call us at 1-866-745-2256, and our dedicated contact center staff will be happy to help you complete an application and get that application emailed out to you.
3: He notes the application deadline is still a long ways off.
0: The new program is available to farmers to sign up until March 31st, 2025. So they can start signing up right now and they can sign up all through the next year.
3: And Gallant offered these final comments.
0: Just want to let farmers know that this is a great program for them. Uh, When you consider that $100,000 is interest-free and the remainder is below prime, no matter how much a farmer takes, it's going to be at below prime rate and compared to how what they get at the bank or their local credit union, this could be a very attractive program for them in terms of financing on their farm.
3: That's Dave Gallant, he is the Vice President of Finance and advance Payments Program for the Canadian Canola Growers Association. Well as you heard last week, Louis-Dreyfus Company announced that they would be building a pea production processing plant in Yorkton that was the first topic of discussion on Friday's SaskagToday.com roundtable with Chief Agricultural Editor Kevin Hirsch.
4: Uh, great news! So, when you hear of uh, more secondary processing, takes uh, the load off uh, the railway, shipping out uh, raw product, uh, creates jobs, creates economic activity. Surprising, though, you know, a $500 million facility—that's uh, a huge investment. 60 full-time jobs, that's uh, very good. But I never did hear a number on what they say the proposed capacity of this plant is, how many uh, tons or hundreds of thousands of tons this uh, pea protein facility will need from producers. And I'll be interested to know when that that number comes out, be able to compare it with the the big roquette plant in portage la prairie that was set up a few years ago, just to try to get a, a magnitude of how much demand this is going to create.
3: He also delved into the news that Saskatchewan broke a new record for agri-food exports in 2023.
4: I think it's it's great news, but I would expect that we may take a step back because we're still a major exporter of raw commodities, and if you look at what prices have done, for a lot of the commodities over the past year it's down dramatically and, and of course um, much of our agriculture is driven by the crop side rather than livestock side cattle prices are good but the crops really uh, dictate what our, our export uh, potential is and volumes may actually increase but the prices drop so significantly that you know a year a year from now when these stats came out come out uh, there may be some retrenchments in our in our exports because of dropping commodity prices.
3: Hirsch was disappointed to see the price of canola fall again last week. Well,
4: it's it's really interesting that canola typically is one of our most profitable crops, or has been many years out of the past uh, decade. But uh, regland Commodities is, is one of the organizations. Well, I, I do a fair bit of business uh, through through regland, so they allowed me to see their most recent spreadsheet on a profitability analysis of of 20 Saskatchewan crops and canola is really i think it was like 12th or 13th on the on the list just barely profitable giving a, a an assumption of a new crop price of only $13 a bushel and i think they were using you know a, a typical yield not the highest yield but a typical yield of around 45 bushels an acre on canola and it it's not a shining star anymore and that's a huge major commodity for, for Saskatchewan. And, and you know, really our biggest acreage wise, biggest money earner. So that, uh, that's pretty, pretty stark when you, you see that sort of a comparison. On the upside in lentil growing areas, lentils are, are the, the, the most profitable crop when in, in the Ray Glenn analysis at the very bottom of the list are, are crops like, uh, flax and soybeans and faba beans.
3: He also weighed in on the news that dicamba can no longer be used on U.S. crops, like soybeans and cotton, following a court ruling last week. The company
4: did issue a a release saying uh, what's happening in the U.S. does not have any bearing on Canada. Uh, Dicamba, and people will remember it from 40 years ago, it was Banville as a a trade name, but dicamba comes in a number of different formulations now, but with it being used on uh, herbicide resistant soybeans in the states they've run into tremendous problems with spray drift because it's rather volatile and damaging a bunch of crops and and maybe they'll get this turned around in the in the US but right now it, it looks like uh, things could be curtailed down there dramatically for dicamba that does not appear according to the the company news release to be the the case here in Canada business as usual here in in Canada including on the uh, the, the Soybeans where dicamba are, are resistant,
3: and Hirsch then commented on the crazy temperature swings Saskatchewan experienced in January.
4: Yeah, on on average, January didn't look bad. It was just, uh, but averages can be pretty deceiving. From record uh, cold to record warm, pretty amazing month. But the the big thing is, can we get some significant precipitation going forward as uh, as spring rapidly approaches?
3: Kevin Hirsch is the Chief Agricultural Editor for saskagtoday.com. It's time now for the Ag Review portion of our program, and that's a presentation of New Era Ag Technologies in Swan River. GX94 AgriView. To further strengthen Canada's Pulse industry, Ottawa has announced up to $11 million for Pulse Canada. This funding is provided through the Agri-Science Program Clusters component, an initiative under the Sustainable Canadian Agricultural Partnership. Through research, the cluster will help address challenges in production, which will result in reduced nitrogen fertilizer consumption across crop rotations, lower greenhouse gas emissions, increased carbon sequestration, lower disease risks, and increased profits for farmers. Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada has partnered with Prairies Economic Development Canada and other government departments in support of the green prairie economy. Canada is the largest exporter of pulses in the world, shipping a significant amount of dry peas, lentils, beans, and chickpeas to over 120 countries every year, making the pulse industry a key driver of the Canadian economy. CN and CPKC rail supply to combine 68% of hopper cars ordered in Grain Week 27, a decline from the 77% order fulfillment performance seen in Week 26. The decline in system performance reflects a deterioration in performance for each of CN and CPKC in supplying sixty percent of cars ordered by shippers in week twenty seven cn saw performance regress somewhat from the small rebound in performance seen in week twenty six cn performance remains below the ninety percent performance threshold for the fifth consecutive week and below the eighty percent performance threshold for a third straight week cpkc performance also declined although to a lesser degree than we saw for cn with the railway supplying 74% of shipper orders in week 27, CPKC performance remains below the 80% threshold for the third consecutive week. Parrish and Heimbecker will construct a third flour mill and expand facilities at its Hamilton, Ontario site. PH Milling Group and Winnipeg-based grain handler Parrish and Heimbecker Limited says the expansion comes in response to ever-growing demands from the baking industry along with a third flour mill, which is scheduled to begin construction in March. The company will add two storage silos, which it said would handle feed ingredients like soy meal, distillers' dried grains, and wheat for the mills. The existing p Hamilton flour mill opened in 2017, and construction began on a second mill in 2019, which opened in 2020. This doubled its capacity. Indian police blocked roads to halt farmers who are marching to New Delhi to press for the better crop prices promised to them in 2021 when thousands of growers camped out on major highways leading to the country's capital. Some government ministers are expected to meet farm union leaders today to avoid a repeat of the year-long protest which was aimed at forcing the government to repeal farm laws designed to deregulate vast agricultural markets. The march comes just months before national elections in India, in which Prime Minister Narendra Modi is widely expected to win a third term. India's millions of farmers form an influential voting bloc, and ruling parties try to keep growers on their side. The farmers have come out after a call by union leaders to demand higher support or guaranteed prices for their produce, and press the government to meet its promise to double farmers' income. Meanwhile, the United States Department of Agriculture's attaché in New Delhi forecast an increase in India's production of rapeseed mustard for 2023 to 24. The attaché projects a harvest of 11.9 million metric tons versus the 11.7 million expected by the department. That's slightly more than the 2022-23 crop which the New Delhi desk placed at 11.83 million metric tons compared to the USDA's official number of 11.3 million. The report notes favorable cold weather during the rabies crop season proved to be beneficial to the 2023-24 crop, while harvested area and yields were relatively steady. The New Delhi desk projected the 2023-24 crush at 10.4 million metric tons, while the USDA was 200,000 tons less. Total domestic consumption was pegged at 11.8 million metric tons by the attaché, with the USDA lower at 11.55 million. There was a wide disparity in 2023-24 ending stocks, with the attaché at 850,000 metric tons, compared to the USDA's 574,000. And Saskag today is always available on podcast. Listen to past shows whenever you want. Find them easily by going to gx94radio.com. Also, you can hear the podcast on your Amazon Echo. Just enable the GX94 skill and choose Saskag today. And yes, it is free. And that's today's ag review. Please stay tuned. SaskGag today will return right after this. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for
0: drinks?
3: Welcome back to Saskag. Today I'm Doug Faulkner. It's sunny and minus 4 degrees in the Yorkton-Melville region. I'll have your complete weather details coming up at the top of the hour. The annual Stakes and Stems Producer Night this Wednesday night in Yorkton is sold out. Rachel Cranick is the agriculture program specialist for the Saskatchewan Ministry of Agriculture in Yorkton and she says they have some great guest speakers lined up.
5: We're happy to have Chuck Penner coming. He's going to be giving a grain market outlook, and we're thankful that the Cornerstone Credit Union is our platinum sponsor for that speaker. So he's going to be speaking at 7 p.m. in the evening, followed by another guest speaker, Brian Perlat, on a cattle market outlook, and that speaker is being presented by Bullseye Feeds.
3: She adds the Ministry of Agriculture's Yorkton office will be represented there as well.
5: Our whole team will be there that evening. So folks can come and talk to us about some of the programs and services that we offer out of our office. They can meet with our livestock extension specialist, our crop specialist, two of our agro-environmental specialists, and of course myself, the ag program specialist out of the office. So we're encouraging people to... um, Reach out, talk to us about some of the programs and services that we offer and see what's a fit for your farm.
3: Kranick outlines some of the services they provide. And she also says many of these programs have been in effect for quite a few years now. Rachel Krainik is the Agriculture Program Specialist for the Saskatchewan Ministry of Agriculture in New Yorkton.
2: Livestock market conditions.
3: U.S. live cattle futures for April are trading at 185.85. That's down 87. June live cattle trading at 183.30. Down 67. March feeder cattle trading at 248.10. That's up 95. April feeder cattle trading at 252.45, up 67. April lean hogs trading at 81 even, that's down 15. May lean hogs trading at 86 even, that's down 22. And that is the livestock market conditions. Commodities Update. Canola futures are trading up across the board this hour. March canola trading at 5.9270, up $4.30. May canola trading at 600 dollars 30 up $3.40. March Minneapolis wheat trading at 6.83 per bushel, down one and a quarter cents. March Kansas City wheat trading at 6.02 and a quarter. That's up 3 quarters of a cent. March Chicago wheat trading at 5.99 and 3 quarters, that's up 3 cents. March corn trading at 4.31 and a quarter, up 2 and a quarter cents. March soybeans trading at 11.94 and 3 quarters, up 11 and a quarter cents. March oats trading at 3.81 and 3 quarters. That's up six and a half cents. And that is the commodities update. And welcome back to Saskag today. Life can take you on different paths. Jolene Watson started off her career as a certified veterinary technologist. Now she's a professional speaker, trainer and coach. Watson was at the Perryland Youth Leadership Conference last week where she spent several hours with 35 4-H members from across Saskatchewan.
1: We took a really deep dive into professionalism and really understanding personality preferences to a deep level in terms of how to navigate behavioral adaptation and to be appropriate for any situation. We dove into emotional intelligence, body language was a huge piece of that, and then stress management, which I think is really important, and professional speaking skills.
3: She says teenagers should be embracing public speaking.
1: This is the perfect time to start asking for what you want, to having the confidence to stand up, to get behind a microphone at this age will set them up for success for the rest of their lives.
3: Watson says public speaking is a bit of a lost art now.
1: 100% and it's confidence is what's required and anyone can be a great public speaker but you do have to practice.
3: She encourages public speakers to use their emotions to be successful.
1: Well, there's no good or bad emotions. I think that's the most important point, but they all have a different frequency and they have different results. And I think if we changed the emotions that we utilize more often to gratitude or joy or passion or better yet ambition, because ambition has action, this will change the way we see our lives and what we do with those things.
3: Watson outlines which emotions are often used too much
1: perhaps frustration and anger are used very consistently as opposed to joy gratitude enthusiasm excitement but happiness is a good one to use but i think we can go deeper into again is it excitement is it passion versus ambition i think to expand emotional literacy changes everything
3: she has something else she calls the platinum rule
1: I think the platinum rule can be used at any age, and it's a game changer. Instead of treating people the way you want, flip that around and treat people the way they want. And it does require you to get out of your comfort zone and perhaps practice new behaviors, but it shows a high level of respect.
3: Watson says it requires finding out how the other person wants to be treated.
1: Well, yeah, and I teach that. So I'm an expert with body language and also personality preferences. So introverts process information different than extroverts. Sometimes it's as simple as listening to the word choices that people use to discover what their actual values are. Or better yet, you can just ask. For example, do you like details? Or are you more big picture? Do you want the logic behind this or do you want the values? I think it's important to really dive deeper into who people are and how they show up.
3: She says some people have extrovert and introvert qualities.
1: Well, By nature, you're one or the other innately, according to Carl Jung. However, you can have behavioral facets on both sides. And I actually recommend that as practicing behaviors on both sides so that you can easily adapt.
3: She talks about some of the other things she brought up with the 4-Hers.
1: Presentation skills, that's also something that we got into with professionalism and how to really stand out and engage a crowd in front of you. So, So something as simple as showing your hands when you speak shows that you are trustworthy. We also went into being how you can be more charismatic, which is a combination of being warm and competent and something as simple as putting on glasses can change the perception of others around you to believe that you're more competent for an example.
3: Watson explains how she went from being a vet tech to a professional speaker.
1: So I'm a registered veterinary technologist and dental t- uh, technician mm-hmm. and my boss, my phenomenal boss, Dr. Stocking, gave me leadership responsibilities when I was in my 20s mm-hmm. in terms of firing, hiring, performance reviews and that's where I got really excited about psychology. Mm-hmm. And so really that was the catalyst into, you know, 15 years later going back to business school and becoming a professional speaker and trainer and coach.
3: She speaks to many groups now.
1: Tons of groups. For example, I've recently profiled the group at SASTEL, and I've also worked in the veterinary realms. I've also just recently worked with an architectural firm. So I work in all industries, but I still get really excited, for example, with the 4-H students when the veterinary side can come up again because I'm still registered as a veterinary technologist.
3: Watson says her vet tech background has helped her become a professional speaker.
1: Oh yeah, you had to be a customer service, actually you had to be amazing at customer service. You had to speak to clients on a continual basis, and then you also had to navigate difficult conversations. So I believe that profession really helped lead me into what I do now and to be able to teach it.
3: As for her upcoming plans,
1: I actually just found out that I am going to be a speaker at the American Veterinary Medical Association conference in Texas, which was on my vision board. I also teach vision boarding and goal setting, and I think it's really important to be very clear about what you want, and then to expand your networks. I also teach networking etiquette to find the people that will help get you there.
3: Jolene Watson is with Clarity Coaching and Development in Saskatoon. Meanwhile, this year's edition of AgriVisions is right around the corner. It's happening this Wednesday and Thursday at the Lloydminster Exhibition. It's going to feature a number of session speakers. One of those is Stuart Smythe, an instructor at the University of Saskatchewan. His topic is going to be sustainability advances in prairie agriculture.
2: Probably about three key things I really want to focus on is is explaining some of the details behind the sustainability changes. So, so demonstrating the significant reduction in summer follow practices over the last 30 years, what does that mean then in terms of carbon sequestration and then how was that changed for prairie or, you know, prairie agriculture, then looking at, at some of the inputs. So specifically looking at what's changed in terms of the amount of in crop herbicides that are applied to, to control weeds, and comparing then also the the impacts on the environment of the chemicals that are applied, and then looking at changes in fertilizer use and and what has happened um, between the early 90s and the, the say 2020 over that 30 year period, what what's changed in in those three areas? Prior to the mid 90s, there there weren't a lot of really good effective in crop herbicides. And so, when genetically modified crops were commercialized, farmers gained an incredible tool to to control some of those really challenging weeds, particularly, you know, the the thistles and those kinds of weeds. So, so it allowed it allowed farmers to continuously stay in zero or min till rotations and and have that ongoing effective weed control that that they had previously lacked so so now farmers are reporting that you know they've had fields that have been um you know not had summer fallow practiced on them for for over 20 years
3: that's Stuart Smythe one of the presenters at Agrivisions in Lloydminster this week please stay tuned Saskang today will return right after this Welcome back to SaskAg Today. I'm Doug Faulkner. The Saskatchewan Wheat Development Commission is asking producers to consider adding winter wheat to their crop rotation. Dr. Brian Barris is the senior research scientist at Agriculture and Agri Food Canada's Lethbridge Research Center, and he's been studying winter wheat for a long time.
6: Oh, well, we would have to go way back to 2000, around that period, when I had just started my own research program, and we were sort of given a mandate. It was nice, it was a carte blanche kind of mandate, but the point was, that still holds today, is that, you know, we're, we're off over here developing these varieties, but we really don't have the management fine-tuned to couple with the progress we're making on varieties. So Rob Graff was the winter wheat breeder doing his variety development, and I was the agronomist on the other side doing the the management system work to it. So right from the beginning, we would interact real closely with producer associations. Back in the day, it was way back then, it was the Alberta Winter Wheat Producers Commission, and then it was Sask Wheat Producers Commission. So they would sort of connect us to the farmer and the field. And we would together sort of develop priorities that needed attention, questions that have gone unresolved and so on. And so, you know, we just, through iterations, as you know, these research cycles can take three to five years. And so we would just keep building on the knowledge we had developed from back then and then add to it and fine tune it. And in the meantime, Rob's developing his varieties. And so it was quite a nice hub of research there for for quite a long time.
3: When it comes to crop rotation, he tells us what should be planted before winter wheat.
6: There was a long time sort of an idea that, you know, unless you were following up a crop like canola that could give you really good snow trap environments to fend off things like winter kill, there were limited options. And the fact is, we've conducted several studies now, myself and Byron Irvine, Together those two definitively showed that, you know, there's an issue with canola anyway, and that is a lot of the yield gains from canola have come from just extending the, the growing season and the life cycle. And so you got it's just becoming in some places incompatible to get your winter we planted in time if you're sinking and sequencing behind canola. But luckily we worked on a range of preceding crop and stubble types from peas to lentils to faba beans and everything in between. There's a lot of options, like surprisingly, if you think about field peas, you know, a low residue type of crop, but the reality was, Canola, if you think about winter wheat and the yields that come off of canola, which was kind of like your gold standard, the yields coming off of pea stubble were the same. You know, Then there's questions about barley. So the problem with barley is that you've got really good results if you're in a silage situation. So like for here in this region of Southern Alberta through the livestock corridor, there is a lot of silage production in terms of barley utilization. So that works really well actually. Outside of that, you have a lot of barley for grain. Obviously, and winter wheat following up in grain is one of those situations that does not work well at all. All these other crops coming on or traditional ones like some of your oil seeds, but your pulses like your lentils, your baba beans, your soybeans, those are all giving us pretty good results. So the idea that you have limited options when you start thinking about sequencing or trying to integrate winter wheat, you know the excuse is I don't I don't have any place to put it, and that's not necessarily the case. Dr.
3: Barris then tells us what can be planted after winter wheat.
6: So at that point, once you've got your winter wheat established and you're sort of reaping the benefits from it because you've gone in and you've established your wheat phase early in the fall, you've got more time and more flexibility in the spring on how you want to integrate and plant in behind that. And so it's coming off early, is there something that you want to do fall wise, summer wise and so on that you could get really creative with your intercropping or your underseeding. But the reality is there's just a range of options that follow that wheat phase and think of your standard like canola, wheat, peas, barley for example, something like that. The wheat phase then is still just the wheat phase, so it's not really disrupting. I don't know that it's really facilitating a lot of advantages other than the crop that follows it is going to derive some benefit from the fact that we get really good wheat competitive control as an example. It's off earlier, so if there's something that needs to be done, you know, mid to late summer, fall, that impossible with later maturing crops, and that's there as well. Typically, anything that would be following a wheat phase is fair game.
3: He then goes into winter wheat variety selection.
6: If you think about marketing options, winter wheat is that one crop that gives you a lot because I just mentioned, you know, it comes off early. So. If you wanted to, you could sell it locally and have it utilized in an array of things that are in close proximity and now you're injecting cash flow into your operation that much earlier, regardless of the variety to a large degree. But if you know if you know you've know you got an ethanol plant nearby or a feed option, you've got feed type weeps that you can grow and, and target there, you could sort of consider your milling type varieties. The latest, one of the really good ones right now that's really dominating as well. Wildfire, That's one that could potentially be a dual purpose, but it's what we see now. Somewhat, I think, unique to some of these later varieties that Rob developed where they have this ability to be adapted to a lot wider geographic region than we thought. So, you know, I think in the last two decades, if there's a wheat class that's really enjoyed a lot of new and broader range of varieties that really can check almost every single box you want out of your wheat phase, particularly winter wheat. It's what's come out of Rob's program um, right up until the time he retired. Dr. Brian Barris is
3: the Senior Research Scientist at Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada's Lethbridge Research Centre. His comments come from the Wheat Profit podcast produced by the Saskatchewan Wheat Development Commission. Farm Bulletin Board. The nomination deadline for the 2024 Saskatchewan Outstanding Young Farmer is rapidly approaching. To be eligible, you must be under the age of 40, operate a farm with an ownership stake, and derive at least two-thirds of their income from farming. Nominees can be a young farmer or farm couple, or a farm partnership. Anyone can nominate a young farmer by filling out a preliminary nomination form By this Thursday, February 15th, more information is available by contacting Tannis Axton at Tannis at AxtonFarms.ca. Tannis is spelled with two N's and Axton is spelled A-X-T-E-N. A couple of events coming up. In fact, uh, one right now, the Western Canada Feedlot Management School is underway in Saskatoon, runs today through Wednesday. Also celebrating World Pulse's Day. Pulse-based Dairy Analogues webinar is coming up this Wednesday. That starts at 10 o'clock in the morning, and that is online. And that's all the time we have for today's Farm Bulletin Board. It's now 1 o'clock. Time to check the GX94 Precision Weather Forecast. For the Quill Lakes, Hudson Bay, Swan River, Broadview, Mooseman, Indian Head, and Yorkton-Melville-Roblin-Russell regions today. Partly to mainly sunny, winds west-northwest at 10 to 20, a high of minus 2. For tonight, partly cloudy, winds south at 10 to 20, a low of minus 9. For tomorrow, a 70% chance of light snow, 2 to 3 centimetres possible, winds south-southeast, becoming northwest at 15 to 25, a high of minus 3, an overnight low of minus 8. For Wednesday, mainly cloudy, winds northwest at 10 to 20, a high of minus 7. Thursday, mainly cloudy, a high of minus 13, and Friday, partly sunny, a high of minus 12. In the Paw, it's minus 4 degrees, Swan River minus 2, Dauphin minus 3, Brandon, minus 5. Show Lake Russell, minus 7. Roblin, minus 6. Regina and Indian Header at minus 6. Saskatoon, minus 8. Hudson Bay, minus 2. Broadview-Mooseman, minus 5. Winyard-Wadena-Kelvington, minus 1. The Yorkton-Melville region has a sunny sky, a north-northwest wind at 5 kilometers an hour, seventy-seven percent is the relative humidity the temperature is minus four degrees with the wind chill it feels more like minus six degrees that's your agriculture weather and that'll do it for Saskag today for today be sure to tune in again tomorrow at 1215 for another edition of the program it's time now for the news and sports headlines